Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey y'all, Ryan Sprague here. As you all know, the Summer in the Skies podcast is always free to consume, but it isn't free to create. That's why I've started the Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhereskies. Thank you for your support. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. And today, we've got Mike DeMonte on the show. What I'm trying to say is, you know, that's such a, a big debate in, you know, in ufology and is disclosure, disclosure. Everything has to be disclosure. You know, if it's not the full truth, you know, we don't want it. And it just it's such a very impatient community. And I'm a very impatient person. I, I get that. <laughs> Uh, but at the same time, it's just like I feel like the the standards are always so high. If 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 it's not disclosure, it's you know we don't care. And the thing is, outside of this, think about it for a minute. How much of the mainstream public really care about this topic? Now I know it's becoming more mainstream and more acceptable, and I know a lot of people do believe. But how many people believe enough to actually read more about it mm-hmm. or research about it? Or um, so that's what I'm trying to do with the book is trying to get people to kind of say, hey, maybe I should care about it. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. True Believers by one of my favorite punk bands, The Bouncing Souls. And it was clearly an inspiration for today's guest, who you've heard on the show several times before. But today is a very exciting day, because his new book has just crash-landed all over the place. Punk Rock and UFOs. True Believers. That's right, we're talking to Mike DeMonte, host of the Punk Rock and UFOs blog, and author of Punk Rock and UFOs, Cryptozoology Meets Anarchy. His most recent book flips us on our heads and makes us look at belief systems like never before. We dive deep into some of the most controversial and thought-provoking questions he poses in the book. Who are these regular people researching extraordinary things? And what are the commonalities with those who aren't initiated in the beliefs of the unknown? In a time where UFOs are slowly creeping more and more into the mainstream consciousness, it's important that we as a society want to know the truth and are actively seeking it. True Believers is that wake-up call that looks to bridge the gap between the UFO research community and the mainstream. So, without further ado, let's hear from today's guest. Mike DeMonte. Mike DeMonte, thank you for returning today, my man, to Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you for having me. Um, like I said, this, I think this is one of the first podcasts I was ever on. And um, I think, you know, Somewhere in the Skies has done a lot for punk rock and ufos and you've done a lot for me so uh, i love being back on thank you of course my man it is a give and take and i love the work you do and it's just furthering every day you know with punk rock and ufos the blog and now you've got a new book that is coming out well will be out by the time this airs so i'm super excited to talk to you today about that man but before we we even get to that what's been going on over at punk rock and ufos the website anything anything exciting going on over over there right now the, the most recent thing i post i post an interview with a uh, professor uh jeffrey kripal 
who's a professor of religious studies at Rice University, which is located here in Houston, where I live. That was probably the, uh, a big interview I've done recently. I also have uh, a few book reviews coming up. I, I like to review books as well as um, as well as interview people on the site. So I have a couple of those coming up. Uh, yeah, just um, trying to find stories. Like the thing with the web is, with the website is, I don't want to just post things that other people are always posting. I kind of want to do, I kind of want to get more original content. And sometimes, you know, it's hard to do that. So that's why I always try to post when I feel I deem it necessary or I think it's interesting or newsworthy or something different. So I'm always trying to look for something um, I can do that's not just reporting or not just aggregating something else. Exactly. I, I, I love that quote. Like, if you don't have something to say, don't say it. So why, you know, why keep recycling things over and over again? So that's what I always love. When you do drop a new article, it's always something thought-provoking, something that not everyone's talking about and gets the conversation going. New, fresh material, new questions to ask. So again, I, I love what you do over there. And I think, the last time I had you on was uh, tail end of 2017, wasn't it? When we did that yeah. year-end wrap-up. Yeah, Jason McClellan, MJ Benias, and yourself came on. And uh, this was right, right when, you know, To the Stars Academy was starting up. The New York Times article was released. So I have to ask, man, where do you personally stand right now? Almost a year, a little under a year has passed since we last spoke about all this. Where do you stand on all this right now? Uh, I think it's interesting. I think it's encouraging. You know, I, I don't think it's the it's going to I think people have to be patient because whether it's it ends up being something, you know, that's that changes everything or if it doesn't, I, I, I think it's going to be something that's not going to happen overnight. I think it's it's cool that, you know, you see Luis Elizondo is kind of in the forefront now. Tom DeLonge is kind of t- taking a step backwards and is concentrating more on, you know, the the other side of it, the arts part of the uh, to the Stars Academy. And um, I, th- I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And you know, yeah, like I said earlier, I think I think people just have to be patient. You know, like I said, whether it, it fails or succeeds, just give it time, because uh, for all the things they want to roll out, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen within a year. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you, man. I, I think, you know, last year I was kind of in a place where I'm like, oh, come on, just like get yeah. it out there. And yeah. now I'm, I'm slowly learning that we can't we can't have this stuff shoved down our throats. You know, it does have to be a gradual. I hate this term. I know MJ Benias does as well. This drip, drip disclosure. Yeah. But. That's kind of what we have to accept at this point if we want to continue following the work of Elizondo and DeLong and everyone else over at To The Stars is if you want this stuff, you're going to have to wait because we are getting the information as we're giving it to you guys, you know? It's not like they're sitting on some huge treasure trove of information. It's slowly being disclosed to them as well, I would assume. I mean, I'm no insider when it comes to, to the Stars Academy, but but yeah, it, it's fascinating. The videos they've released since we last spoke have been extremely compelling, and now we know that uh, Skinwalker had a lot to do with this as well, and Bob Bigelow, so it's only getting more interesting and more uh, strange as we we move forward with all this so i'm along for the ride man i know you are too so yeah yeah fascinating exciting and i love the times we're living in now with the ufo disclosure yeah it's uh it's fascinating because i mean we're getting these videos and it's getting people to talk and if people are talking that's a good thing so i mean that's all i can ask for right now exactly my family is asking me about ufos and that's never happened before all this went down so that's all we could really ask for well, Mike, the real reason we're here today is to talk about your follow-up book to Punk Rock and UFOs, and that is True Believers. So I have to ask, before we get into sort of the meat of what the book is about, what made you want to write a follow-up book, and why did you choose this overall theme of True Believers? I'm fascinated by that. Um, so I wanted to write a follow-up book because, you know, I felt like my first book got a lot of people talking, and I when I, I saw that people were interested in what I had to say about the topic, I was like, well, they may be interested in what else I have to say about it. What comes next? And there are things I would have done differently about the first book. So all those those things that, you know, I had a problems I had problems with or I wanted to tweak, I kind of I kind of took what I learned from that one and applied it to the second one. I wanted to write a book that was it's different. It's it's more researched. Um, it tackles some of the same topics, but from a, a different angle. I wanted to write a book that that the UFO researcher could pick up and the everyday person could pick up and still beat both both uh, groups of people, um, there'll be synergy in between them. You know, there's something that they could both pull from it. It's easy enough where 
the average person will understand it and it's thought provoking enough for someone involved in ufology to make them, you know, think about some things. So I kind of went in with that idea. I wanted to write a book that kind of, you know, pulled from those two groups of people. But also, I've really wanted to kind of have a book to be a call to, call to, uh, call to action, a persuasive text, kind of, if you will, about why this stuff's important, why people should care. Because the first book, at, you know, kind of asked, you know, why do we rebel against our certain uh, belief systems, our process of belief? And this is kind of arguing why we should care about it. So uh, hence the title of True Believers, which is also um, a song of a, a song title from the band The Bouncing Souls, which is a punk rock band. So yes. it kind of kind of goes with the brand, too. It kind of worked. And I thought it was it was very, very catchy and clever. So I thought it just kind of fit together the the, the, the name, the, the working title and then thematically everything in the book and it just kind of came together really well yeah man it's ever since you released the cover of the book to the public and i saw it and i remembered that song by the bouncing souls i've been nice. blasting it non-stop in my apartment my neighbors must hate me at this point <laughs> but dude it's so it's invigorating and when you mix ufos with punk rock it's just there's nothing like it and there's no one like you doing that out there so when it comes to belief now these are some chapters that really stuck out to me this book is a very quick read for anyone out there it's easily accessible digestible and what i really enjoy about what you do is you bring theories to the table you're not just throwing info into the book from wikipedia and publishing it you're actually putting the things out there and asking questions of it. And that came first for me in chapter two, and that's the God complex. You know, being part of the title, belief plays a huge part in the, the entire UFO question. And you cover religion in chapter two, which is, you know, super risky, I would say, to sort of start the book off with. But I loved it. I loved that you just kind of went there. So could you tell us a bit more about why you wanted to tackle UFOs and religion to begin with so early on in the book? Well, I think because it goes against so many people's preconceived beliefs, um, you know, what they were taught up, you know, people who are religious, you know, they're taught a certain thing and they go together. You know, it's not it's not like pick or choose, choose your sides. It's not, you know, religion or this. Um, I really think that there's some parallels that can be drawn there. I'm not a religious person. I find uh, these the, the stories in religion fascinating, but I'm not like I don't go to church or anything. Um, I'm agnostic, but I think there's there's possibly some truths in some of these religious stories. And I wanted to start with that chapter just because. Uh, once again, it's people's process of belief. I want to jump right in there and hit them right from the start. People who may not be a non-believer, you know, and stuff. We believe in, you know, UFOs and ufology. And um, I just kind of wanted to get them, you know, like, to question their own beliefs and say, well, if we believe in this, why can't we believe in this? So that's kind of why, uh, yeah, it's kind of why I kind of jumped right into that from the start. Right. And you really jumped into it when you uh, pointed out. The Betty Andreasen abduction, which we covered extensively on an early episode of Somewhere in the Skies. Now, you have to tell me, I, you and I have talked extensively about this case as well, the religious undertones or overtones to this entire case. It's, it's just, it's right out there. So I would love maybe if you could give us sort of a brief overview of the Andreasen affair and why you chose to uh, include it into this chapter. It's really interesting. Um, well, I chose to include it because I, I read the book and I was blown away. Um, I love books. Uh, I love the UFO books about abductions and about uh, hypnosis and, and regressions. I love hearing those stories. And that one stood out for me. What stood out for me is, you know, the revisitations, they were very specific. And there was specific religious imagery that was coming through to her, you know, in these in her abductions and in her regressions. And I always wondered if, you know, you know is that part of um, whatever she was experiencing? Because what she experienced was real to her. Now, was that something she was really seeing or was that her pre-established beliefs mixing in with it? And that mystery was really fascinating. So that's why I wanted to include that, because you have this religious imagery like the phoenix, which <laughs> appears in Christianity, appears in uh, Egyptian mythology. You know, so that was something I really wanted to include um, just because she was somebody who was previously a very religious person. And she had her belief system kind of flipped on its on its tail, you know, when this happened to her. So, you know, this happens to everyone. And uh, I thought it was uh, it was key to include it in that chapter just because of all the religious overtones that happened to her. Exactly. And I've spoken to many witnesses who claim some sort of spiritual 
connection or, uh, you know, uh, almost like miraculous experience during an abduction experience or a UFO sighting. Uh, you know, one woman in particular and another gentleman I spoke to, they prayed that the event would stop and it stopped. So you, you really do have to wonder your perception, your beliefs, your, your structure of belief throughout your life. Does that influence what you're experiencing or vice versa so yeah i found that really fascinating um and then another person that you spoke to that we mentioned earlier that you interviewed for your blog and in the book was jeffrey kripal uh what did he have to say about religion and how it sort of influences the uh the perception of a ufo event um what was really telling uh, when i talked to him is what he, he said that the bible is filled with what we would call paranormal stories and i'm, I'm, I'm going to read his quote directly the quotes in the book it's also on um on the interview i did with him on punkrockandufos.com he says we have people telling a story with abilities and it's miraculous or an act of god if these paranormal abilities belong to another community a competing or warning community then they are magic or witchcraft so it's interesting how like you know he what he's saying is basically people can code these different abilities that you know, are they angelic? Are they evil? Right. It just depends on what tribe they belong to. So that was really interesting that his his response is the Bible is filled with what we would call paranormal stories. And you think about it, the Bible is full of paranormal and outlandish and mythical, yeah. and amazing, like, you know, stories that sound impossible. Absolutely, man. I mean, levitating on water, turning water into wine. It's all there. It is. It's like the biggest paranormal book out there, if you really think about yeah. it. Well, let's let's move on to chapter four. This one really, really caught my attention as well. This was titled Destination Unknown. And this immediately brought to mind uh, Josh Gates and Aaron Ryder and all these really cool people that I know you and I both follow in these worlds. But before we get to that uh you allude to research into cryptids you know not just ufos being hindered by the limitations of travel you know logistics all this sort of stuff um i you know you talked about how there are these really isolated areas two thousand miles away from civilization so how do we investigate those areas how do we how do we know what's going on there that really really stuck with me i've never really thought of it that way so could you sort of maybe comment on some of these examples you came up with with uh in terms of like locations and geography having a lot to do with ufo investigations well well one of the things that i go back to with this is you need people who care enough to research it right mm -hmm. you need resources you need um you need to go on expeditions and this is something that if you believe is out there and you're going to research this needs to be done constantly um, when I interviewed Aaron Ryder from Destination Truth, what she was telling me was a lot of the production limitations they have. You know, they're in these these parts of the world which are sometimes dangerous, um, not just geographically, but also uh, sociopolitically, are, are dangerous places to be. And they're out there for about two or three days, you know, in not safe conditions. And what is the chance, the percentage that you're going to happen to see Bigfoot in that that three day window that you're there? Right. So. That's why so many of these shows are so inconclusive, which is kind of a tease to the viewer. But, I mean, it, it, as long you know, you're not going to – you know, it's a, almost a one in a million chance to find something because anytime someone ever cites something, it's always by accident. You know, it, it's very rare that somebody goes out to find, you know, a Loxus monster or a Chupacabra or any, any cryptid and they actually see something. So, yeah, I, I think it kind of goes with having the – the want to uh, research these things and the abilities to do so. Absolutely. You know, and another person who who really wanted to do that, that you found was a hero of mine. I was huge into WWE, the Hardy Boys, all those guys, uh, Christian Edge. They were my, my heroes, man, growing up, Royal Rumbles, and Lita. Lita, yeah. you know, this kick-ass girl in the WWE, you got to interview her about her road show that she's doing, about UFOs. So I have to ask, how the hell did this girl get interested in UFOs, and uh, how'd you get hooked up with her, and what's going on with that? Honestly, I, I met her years ago at a Comic-Con thing, and she doesn't remember, um, <laughs> but for somehow, she may have posted something about, oh no, Renee Young, who works for WWE, she posted a photo of her and Lita. They were at uh, they were at Roswell or something like that, and I may have commented on it. I don't know how 
how it started, but she, we started, she started following me back on Twitter. And uh, we just started having discussions about UFOs and cause I knew she was at these places exploring these things uh, recreationally. This is before she decided to kind of film it. And um, she, she just decided to do it uh, DIY. You know, she was in talks with some companies that fell through. And I mean, she I think she has the resources to do so. So she got interested in this stuff. She was telling me she just went on a, a UFO tour in Arizona and she was blown away by it. And that's all it took. It took that tour. And her show is more based on the human aspect of it, which I think whenever she comes on your show is going to be great because your book is very based on a similar uh, the human interaction. Her show is kind of more about the it's a little bit more kitsch, you know, the kitsch elements of it. But it's still kind of the, the human factor of people who are interested in this stuff, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been a big wrestling fan for years. So it was, it was kind of cool to, you know, I, I was it, I was the one to, to break the story that she was having a show and she wanted me to do so. So that that was very flattering because, like I said, I grew up. I mean, I still watch wrestling to this day. So that that was really cool. Absolutely, man. And I mean, she's in a punk band, so there's full circle right there. And again, just the idea that like these people who who are not necessarily in the UFO field are getting interested and in bringing it to a new audience more people who can now look at this topic and be like, there's something to this. There you go right there. It's it's just like, it's spreading. It's becoming more mainstream. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but I love it. I love that chapter. Uh, the next chapter that really stuck out to me was chapter 10 of the book, Revolution Science. I love the titles of your chapters, <laughs> by the way, man. Very, very, you, you could tell you're a journalist. You hook them right from the title. So in this chapter, you propose technologies, you know, scientific advancements and how they may sort of play into a furthering the research of ufos everything from like hot spots of ufo activity uh, dark energy natural resources dmt like it was all over the place i loved it and you nice. you spoke to many different types of scientists even uh would you care to sort of elaborate on you know maybe some of the thoughts and theories of the individuals you interviewed for this chapter in this chapter some of the people i spoke to was more just kind of the the way this stuff is viewed by the scientific community how it's kind of like a pseudoscience mm-hmm. um that's what i wanted to get people's insights who are in academia or involved in in any type of science i want to kind of get their insights to it but what i also want to include is some of the advances that mainstream science are doing the fact that you know a university of texas approved i believe it was a 40 million dollar upgrade to its telescope to study dark energy like that says something, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, mainstream sciences are starting to break from the, the tradition and the mold and start to kind of go other places in terms of what they research. Um, like I said, some of the people I spoke to in this chapter was uh, Greg Graffin, who is the uh, frontman of the band Bad Religion. He's also a Ph.D. professor at Cornell and UCLA, and he's a he teaches evolutionary bi- uh, biology. And then another thing I kind of cover was how John Hopkins University is seeking out people who have seen uh, beings or entities for a study um, while on the drug of DMT, which I talked about in my first book right. as well. So that kind of that kind of comes together too, and how people are kind of saying DMT represents a spirit molecule, and this goes back to kind of the theory I proposed in the first book that you know, what if our our soul, quote unquote, soul, is our consciousness, and it lives on, and it goes to the goes to the, these places of the universe that we cannot currently uh, get to in our, our current physical current, current physical state. And, you know, these are some ideas that are actually starting to be looked into by, by mainstream science. Quantum physics, my man. I love it. You know, speaking, of which, speaking of physics the other day, so I was, I was out of town. I was uh, in Chicago. I was with my girlfriend and her friends, and uh, her friend's brother was there. And my first time meeting him, and he's going to, uh, he's going to get his master's, uh, and he's going to try to be a physicist. So the topic came up about, you know, what I'm into. We talked about, you know, UFOs. And he's... He says mathematically, absolutely. There's other dimensions and there's other universes out there. He's like, and he said mathematically, there, there's no denying it. And although that was very interesting, somebody who's going into this mainstream field who says, you know, mathematically, you cannot disqualify the these possibilities. Absolutely, and so many other physicists have agreed with that. It's just, it, it's, it's ridiculous to think otherwise. I think at this point, at least mathematically, and if you're looking at it mathematically, this is the most structured thing we have on this planet, and possibly the only way we could communicate with some other intelligence out so if you have someone like that coming forward and saying there is something out there there are other dimensions or or worlds or ways to jump through and get there like that's that's exciting to me and that shows that even the the younger minds now getting into the the physics realm are willing to look at these topics and be like yeah 
yeah, definitely. We're open to it, and we hope there is other life out there, at least the people I've spoken to. In this chapter as well, man, you brought up a case that I, as a UFO researcher, should know about but have absolutely never heard of. That was the uh, the Lake Bacal case in Siberia. What the hell is this, man? D- could you give me a little bit of information on this? Um, so, brief summary of it. So, it's really fascinating because I kind of lead in about how I talk about uh, USOs a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. which are basically underwater UFOs and how so many sightings appear, you know, by, by Navy bases or by waters or people, uh, a lot of sightings happen by waters, especially military base. So it's that time of the year, your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Uh, I, I kind of went this uh, idea that maybe we should start looking underwater instead of in the skies for these answers. And that brought me to this case, which is where there was Russian divers. Uh, they were in this lake, Lake Bacal, and they saw what looked basically were three aliens. I think it was three. I forgot the number. But there was basically aliens underwater. And they, they all they had on was just a very primitive looking um, mask, like a, like a breathing apparatus. And they were just swimming in the water. And apparently one of the the, uh, the Russian divers got too close to them. And next thing you know, they were uh, rocketed from the water onto shore where where they died, where, where he, the person died. Oh, my God. So it's it's mind blowing. Like, you know, so, I mean, so many of these stories we hear, even if it's 25 percent of them are true, you know, it, it's still amazing. Absolutely. You know, my my colleague and someone a lot of people may know in the show, Nick Pope, I love his response to most UFO accounts, and it's extraordinary if true. And yeah. that's kind of what we have to rely on at this point. You know, I'm a, all about the, the human aspect, witness testimony, and that's where I stand, man. You know, anytime I hear a story, it's interesting if true. And that's sometimes that's all we can rely on is witness testimony when it comes to these things. And for me, I love that. I'll let other people deal with the, uh, you know, the trace evidence and the documents and all that, all that good stuff. Stick me with a human being in a room. Let me see how they're reacting. And that's all I need to know that something either did happen to this person or it did not. So that's where I land on that one. But the Lake Pakal case, I'm going to have to look into this one. So we're moving on to to chapter 11 stranger than fiction this this was an interesting one too man you you trace fiction throughout history and how it may actually be based around nonfiction or vice versa you know when dealing with with others coming from the sky and things like this so would you care to touch a little bit about on the theories that you brought about in this chapter so this chapter was probably my favorite uh, chapter to write just because it pulls in so many things that i'm interested in um, not just ufology and cryptozoology, but uh, pop culture, mythology, the unknown. And one of the things going into it was, you know, I, I, I did a story on the website that I interviewed you for, I believe, as well. Um, where I was talking about how a lot of people who are interested in this topic tend to eventually write fiction down the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at uh, Billy Schreiber, who is a fiction author first before his, you know, before his, his nonfiction career. Right. You know, he was talking about what happened to him. So that for me, it was always like, well, are the lines being blurred? So I kind of, you know, I was always kind of against this idea of people who not not sort of people who write fiction and writing nonfiction. But I always it kind of, you know, the idea of 
you know, we have this idea of a slow disclosure through pop culture. And I was always kind of like, oh, that's not necessary. You know, th- there's the idea that Hollywood's been making these films and, you know, these these act these these uh, these fiction franchises, you know, just as a way to kind of soften the blow to some of these things. And I was always kind of like, oh, that's not needed. And I still to this day think that. But, you know, the, the lines are blurred in a good way as well. I think it all kind of goes together. I think you, you see mythology, which is, I think, influenced by real life. Religion, which is influenced by real life. Folklore, all these things are influenced by something. You know, one of the things I kind of went to was not just mythology, but, you know, the idea of, you know, gods among men. And that's kind of a, a big thing in uh, the movie Batman vs. Superman, which I know, you know, was kind of panned by critics, but I'm a big fan of it because I like how Zack Snyder took this idea of what would it be like if we had in a real world situation, gods living among men, alien beings coming down. How would people react to Superman in a real world? And in the there, there's a line in that movie from Lex Luthor where he talks about the metahuman thesis, the idea of behind our myths, gods among men. That was really fascinating to me because it's like all these stories, you know, all these superheroes, it all comes from something else. And one of the books I'm reading right now, it's from Jeffrey Kripal. It's called Mutant and Mystics. It kind of goes into further detail about that. So it was always fascinating to me that, that there's a lot of parallels to be drawn between what it, science research is and what science fiction is. Um, you know, you look at what you have in comic books. You have this idea of um, alternate universes and different worlds. And one of the guys I talked to for the book was David Marquez, who is an artist, and he's part of the creative team at Marvel Comics. And I want to get his take about what is this idea um, about how, you know, we kind of, we, you know, fiction always plays with the idea of multiple universes and alternate versions of you. And, you know, how our universe works and how fiction plays a part in that or how they're influenced by that, by what science studies and so forth. I think it's kind of vice versa as well. Um, so that was really fascinating to me. And, you know, you have these reports that there is Nordic looking aliens that mm-hmm. look just like us. And they almost look like Nordic gods, like or, like Odin or Thor. And you go back to mythology and you go, hmm, what if there was truth to that? What if that mythology was true? What if these alien visitors were, were, were just like us? So all these all these fictional stories, who, who knows you know, if they're fiction anymore? What, we, what they are is they're stories. And that's why it's kind of titled Stranger Than Fiction, because you know we don't know, but there's so many parallels. Yes, there are. And the one thing I always come back to is you know, people like Arthur C. Clarke or Gene Roddenberry, these these behemoths of science fiction, how unbelievably intelligent they are to to sort of use science fiction as a catapult of either influencing our future or what our future could become. And that's always really stuck with me is a lot of these things we look at in fiction, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago are now coming true. And again, it's that that tandem of did it influence us? Did our literature and stories throughout time influence us moving forward? Or is it just they were able to see so far ahead of where we were heading? It's it's fascinating. And I'm really happy you included this chapter because I could see an entire book written just about this topic and having to do with UFOs as well. So, yeah, yeah, this is definitely one of my favorites as well, man. The next chapter that I really like the title of, this is Party on Apocalypse. This is an NFG song, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. I knew it. One of my all-time favorite bands growing up. I actually went to see Blink and Newfound Glory one summer in my hometown of Syracuse, New York. NFG was opening for Blink, and I left after NFG finished. That's how much I love uh. them. <laughs> That was a great show. It was Blink, Newfound Glory, and Midtown. Yes, yep, yep. That was the tour. Exactly. Yeah, that was. God, I miss those days, man. Anyway, that, that may have been one of my first concerts I ever went to. I think as a kid. Really? Oh wow! Yeah. Ugh, nostalgia at its best. Newfound <laughs> Glory just played here in L.A. a couple weeks ago. I wasn't able to make it, but oh well, such is life. But uh, again, party on apocalypse. I love this title. We are talking a lot about end of days and. And doom and gloom being sort of told to us from from these symbols and these beings that people supposedly come into contact with. And the, the cover of your book is a pyramid. And mm-hmm. I want to sort of dive into that with you here because you talk a lot about symbology and messages throughout different types of mysteries. You know, the pyramids, the Freemasons and whatnot. And again, acclaimed abductees say that they've been given these messages by other intelligences as well. 
you know, stop destroying the planet. Uh, don't do this, do this. So would you care to elaborate what you were really trying to go for when it came to this chapter? I kind of wanted to relay the idea that th- these people are having these same experiences or similar experiences. And these have been happening since the beginning of time. And this is before the internet. So before people had the means to, if they, if they wanted to, to create a fictional story or a hoax, these were happening to people. And the fact that, you know, there are structures on the planet um, that are the same mm-hmm. before there was those means of communication. The fact that you have pyramids or pyramid like structures all over, all over the world, whether you believe, you believe in Pangea or, you know, the ancient astronaut theory, um, I think there's something there. So, yeah, the, the reason why I, ch- I chose the pyramid on the cover of the book, I came up with this idea of a very simple design of a triangle because tri- the, the, the shape of a triangle shows up a lot, too, in ufology and uh, Freemasonry. It shows up in a lot of things. So the idea of, of, of the shape of a triangle, and then I, I put seven um, signs going out of it. The number seven is symbolic as well, but I wanted to have this very simplistic design. And when they, they, the artist came back with it, it almost looked like a cave drawing, and it looked really cool. And they decided to put it in front of an actual pyramid. I just wanted to have the shape. But I think it, it really does a good job of kind of bringing in you know, this idea of uh, true believers and and throughout time, this this, uh, this belief system. Yeah, absolutely. I, lo- I love the cover, and I do love that they they added the pyramid because it does it it it, inv- it evokes this idea of these things have been happening far longer than any of us can even imagine. And you know, I spoke to an Egyptologist a few weeks ago at AlienCon here in LA, put on by Ancient Aliens, and yeah. someone asked him, "All right, man, you know, with Ancient Aliens, do they really think?" that aliens came here and built the pyramids. And he was the first to say, no, no, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that throughout time, Egyptians in specific, were given messages from the gods, were given messages about how to, how to prosper, how to thrive, how to create a civilization, a society. And we hear this throughout time, that, that people are given messages on how to do things, how to further humanity. And his big thing is, we're not saying aliens built the pyramids. We're saying possibly the Egyptians were given messages on how to do it. And that's what led them forward and made them do these incredible things that people don't think human beings could do. But we are far more capable than most people give us credit for. And uh, that's what I found really interesting. And right there, you've got the pyramids, and that's on the cover of your book. So this is a really interesting one. Uh, It really made me think, and I'm glad you covered that one. The last chapter I really wanted to touch on with you is the big D word that a lot of people don't like, but a lot of people do like, and that is disclosure. Chapter 19, disclosure, closure. I love this quote that you had in this chapter, and it's, quote, the thing is, disclosure doesn't mean a damn thing if we as a public don't care enough. So right there, man, that says so much. So what were you trying to say with this quote before I try to decipher it? What I'm trying to say is, you know, that's such a a big debate in, you know, in ufology and is disclosure, disclosure, everything has to be disclosure. You know, if it's not the full truth, you know, we don't want it. And it just, it's such a very impatient community. And I'm a very impatient person. I, I get that. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it's just like, I feel like the, the standards are always so high. If, if, if it's not disclosure, it's, you know, we don't care. And the thing is, outside of this, think about it for a minute. How much of the mainstream public really care about this topic? Now, I know it's becoming more mainstream and more acceptable, and I know a lot of people do believe, but how many people believe enough to actually read more about it mm-hmm. or research about it? Or um, So that's what I'm trying to do with the book, is trying to get people to kind of say, hey, maybe I should care about it. And one of the things is it's hard because there's so many challenges. I mean, we live in a world where things are progressively getting worse as a human race. We have things to worry about. We have families, we have finances, we have, you know, we have, we have interests, we have all these things on our plate. We have work, you know, that it's, it's hard to find the time. I love uh, all these, all the podcasts. I I love you and all the other podcasts as well. I don't, I wish I had time to listen to every single one. You know, every once in a while I'm able to uh, listen to get one in here and there, but you know, it's hard. So think about it, you know, for, to get the average, the public, to kind of invest their free time. And one of the things uh, I mentioned on the side, I did a story on the website about what, what we do for day jobs. And, you know, a lot of us don't do this for, for a living. You know, we do this for no money. 
Uh, I mean, you know this as, as well as I do in terms of being an author. You know, we don't see any. You know, we don't see much money from writing books. Right. You know, we're not, we're not Stephen King. We don't have a million dollar signing contract. You know, we do this because we're passionate about it. We enjoy it. We're interested about it, and we're trying to get the word out there. And so, I think that's kind of a, that's another thing. It's another barrier we have is that uh, people have to be interested and they have to have the time to do so. So, if the mainstream public doesn't care, disclosure doesn't mean a thing. I mean, Project Blue Book, whether it's it's you know. 100% accurate or not, that should have been a huge story. It wasn't. People didn't, did, did people outside of our community care? No, not no, one bit. Not one bit. And something like that, you would kind of you say, oh, wow, that's uh, that's eye-opening. You know, you would think, but nobody cared. Yeah, I mean, I have, I've had so many people come up to me since, you know, the trailer for this new Heineck television series dropped called Project Blue Book coming up to me and be like, dude, Ryan, is this real? Like, did they actually have an Air Force project that investigated UFOs? I'm like, yeah, like... Fucking 40 years ago. Come on, guys. <laughs> you know? And then the whole ATIP thing going on now, that was huge news, you know, for us, at least, in the UFO community. And we thought for the mainstream. But then within weeks, it was kind of 10th page news in the newspaper at that point. I do give credit to some people out there, even Tucker Carlson on Fox News, of all things, that continues to cover this topic and bring Luis on, bring Nick Pope on, and, and ask really good questions about UFOs. So there are some people out there who care, but like you said, maybe not enough to really get the interest there. And when, at the end of the day, the way I kind of look at it, man, is we can either waste our energy in trying to legitimize the topic and get more people interested, or we can keep researching and try to tap into these mysteries and get answers for ourselves. This is a very personal topic, I think, for every person heavily involved in it. Yeah, we want the truth out for the public, but at the end of the day, we want the truth for ourselves. We want to know our purpose, why these things are happening, why it may have touched our lives or not touched our lives. And that's what's always fascinated me. This is a very selfish and personal topic. It means something different to each and every person. And I I think you really tapped into this with true believers, at least in my opinion. So I, I, I guess I kind of want to, wrapping things up here, is ask, in saying true believers, what do you make of, of this entire topic in general? Do you believe that we are being visited? Do you believe this is a topic that could ultimately change humanity if we are being visited? What do you think as Mike DeMonte? I'm going to put you on the spot here, man. <laughs> oh, well, first I want to go back to what you said, how there's, you know, we have the, these groups of people who want, yes. who are doing the research and we have these groups of people who are interested in it. And that's a synergy that I kind of want the book to create. You know, we have these, you know, these millionaires and billionaires like Elon Musk and Bigelow who are actually putting their money into research and stuff. But we also, like I said, we also need a public to care about it as well. Um, so I think they kind of go hand in hand. I don't think it's an either or thing. I think you kind of need to have you need to have both going forward because you're right. It is a selfish thing. You know, we kind of want answers for ourselves as well. But, you know, we want a, a populace to be able to share these answers with and to them to actually care. And it, it's hard because, you know, the news cycle is dominated with so many so many other things going on right now. It's hard to get get this stuff, you know, in in the media. But yeah, to go back to your question, yes, I do believe you're being visited. I do think it's one of the greatest questions of our time. And I think the answers are there. I think they're, they're in our mythology. They're, you pick from some religion too. You could, you know, they're in sciences. They're all there. But the thing is, you kind of have to suspend some of your disbeliefs of what you, your, your belief systems are to kind of accept some of these, these ideas and these, these theories that may sound so far out. You know, people are so dismissive of stuff. If it's not, you know, if it's not what they previously believed that science can do and or what they previously taught before, you know, they're so opposed to it. And, you know, I have friends who are really educated, really smart people who are just like, no, we've never been visited. Um, and they're just like so adamant about it. And it's like, why can't you open up your mind to that possibility? Because a lot of these people don't read the stuff that we do. They don't uh, look into some of the some of the, the avenues that we do that are against mainstream ways of thinking. And I think that's where you have to start. You have to basically say, well, what if my, my first book, you know, I talk about as a journalist, you'll learn to question everything, which you should do. You, you know, you should be skeptical. You should question everything, but also you should always pose the question, what if, because, you know, history is changing. And I believe so is science. 
I don't think, I don't think they're definite. Absolutely. I, you know, I always come back to that quote. People forget that there's going to be a 22nd century, a 23rd century. Science changes. We have to go along for that ride and, and know that things we once thought are going to be shattered into a million little pieces that we're going to have to pick up in a whole new light. So I guess, you know, closing things up here, true believers, it's out tomorrow from when this is going to release. So where can we find the book and more about what you're up to? Punkrockandufos.com will be, you'll be able to, there'll be a links on there. You could also go to Amazon and barnesandnoble.com as well. Also, if you live in Houston, Texas, it'll be at the River Oaks Bookstore. You'll be able to buy physical copies there as well. Like I said, it's going to be available in physical and digital formats, your Kindle, your iTunes, um, what have you. Um, yeah, but Punk Rock UFOs is a, is a good way to, good site to go to see what I'm up to in terms of after the book and uh, stories and reviews and research and other things I'm going to be doing uh, after the book. So, uh, yeah, punkrockufos.com or follow me on Twitter as well at Mike DeMonte, my name. That's how to find me. Perfect, man. And I'm going to say this right now. The more I do this show and the more I research this topic, the more skeptical I become. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. But after reading True Believers, I'm going to tell you right now, I am leaning more towards the believer side every chapter I dive into with this book, man. So congratulations. I think this is a great book for anyone out there who's who's new to the topic or a veteran. It's going to open your eyes for sure. And I can't wait to see what comes next for Punk Rock and UFOs, Volume 3. Thank you so much, Ryan. Like I said, I appreciate it. I'm a big supporter of your show and your friendship. I really appreciate all that stuff. And yes, uh, there will be a Volume 3, hopefully one day. Hopefully. To complete, <laughs> to, to complete the trilogy. Yes, we all know trilogies are the best, and we eagerly await that with open eyes and open minds, my man. So thank you again for coming on Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks again to Mike for coming on the show. Be sure to grab Punk Rock and UFOs, True Believers, at your local bookstore or order it online at Amazon or at Mike's website, where he's constantly posting some of the best articles on UFOs out there today. That's punkrockandufos.com. Somewhere in the Skies was recently a featured banner on iTunes Canada, and it's because of you, the listeners. Thank you to all my Canadian listeners out there, And now, we have to give it a try here in the United States, and beyond. If you have a few moments, please subscribe, rate, and review Somewhere in the Skies on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. It helps us become visible to new listeners, and then we can ask new questions of the UFO phenomenon together. We're on Twitter, at Somewhere Skies, and Instagram, at Somewhere Skies Pod. We also have a very active Facebook group. Just search for Somewhere in the Skies podcast and ask for an invite, and I'll let you in. Just behave yourselves. For past episodes, articles, and contact information, visit the official website, somewhereintheskies.com. Thank you to the E1 Podcast Network, KGRA Radio, and to you for listening. To continue our journey with the true believers, I leave you with this awesome X-Files theme cover by musician Septembrio. Check him out on all music outlets and at septembrio.bandcamp.com. I will see you here next week, true believers. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Part three's to find the future.
Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. I'm Rosie. And I'm Derek. Welcome to Rabbit Hole Motel. You can check out anytime you like, but I can never leave. And I can just sort of come and go, whatever. Each week, we open a new room to discover strange true tales and mysteries from history, science, and the fringe. And myself and a guest will get sucked into and explore alternate realities. Belong, New Jersey! Enjoy your time in the center of the Earth! The conspiracy owes you a living. Well, that's way better than an Amazon Prime membership. To all the world, I declare the Earth is hollow and habitable within... At a restaurant, she bends a fork with her mind. She does it, y'all. Come for an extended stay at rabbitholemotel.com or wherever fine podcasts are served. Enjoy your stay. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher. Because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.